Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Tom Haynes. Tom is an in-house employment and labour lawyer, currently working as general counsel at Jaguar Land Rover. He helps support the effective management of the workforce across multiple jurisdictions. Alongside Tom's impressive practice, he's also the host of the popular legal podcast, You've Been Served, which offers practical advice to law students, law graduates and junior lawyers to help them build a successful legal career. So a very, very warm welcome, Tom. Thank you very much, Rob. I feel like I need to hire you so that you can introduce me as I enter a room. Is that possible or not? <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? It's 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 really expensive though. Just All as a right. heads up. Well, we'll talk after. We'll talk after. Yeah, we'll negotiate a deal. But before we dive into all the amazing stuff that you have done and your legal experiences to date, we mm-hmm. do have a customary open question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is: on the scale of one to ten, ten being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? So I've uh, I've been expecting this one because I, I am an avid listener, as I've said. Rob. So I th- I think some of your guests give it a bit of a hard time. So I'm going to go with uh, like the average score is about a three, isn't it? So I'm going to go for yeah. about a solid seven, I would say. And the justification really is I think we've got to give them a bit of credit. They've done a bit of research. It looks it feels like a law firm. The rates are about right, aren't they? Extortionate rates. Yeah. Um, you know they're wearing suits. They look smart. There's a bit of law in there. Um, I, I identify with Mike a little bit as well because I do feel my background is sports and exercise science so I do feel particularly in the early stage of my career I was a bit of an imposter in the legal industry so maybe bumping up a few marks for that but let's be a bit different we'll go for a seven Rob we'll go for a seven yeah love that bit of positivity let's get it above five so yeah we'll we stick with a seven you've justified your answer very very well so let's start at the beginning as we like to with all of our guests Tom tell us a bit about your family background and upbringing yeah, so I uh, I had a very tranquil upbringing, if uh, if that's an appropriate word to use. So I, I grew up in Devon, by the coast, uh, very kind of slow pace to life, uh, very very nice place to grow up. Certainly, um, I stayed there until I came to um, university. Now I, I will admit. Um, I had no intention of doing law whatsoever. I don't know whether this <laughs> will inspire or or deter your listeners, but I had absolutely no intention of doing law till I was about 22. I, I wanted to be a, a football manager, of course, as who, of course. who else would, wouldn't want to be a football manager? Um, hence me doing sports science and, and what have you. So um, I went to university and uh, did my sports science degree, and then I went out into the wonderful world of work and worked um, as a salesman selling security solutions up and down the country. Unfortunately, it was in the middle of a recession. Um, so, if any, oh, yes, ex- exactly. Now, only <laughs> if I'd spoken to you in advance, Rob, you could have saved me a year worth of pain. Um, that didn't end very well. Uh, so, uh, so at the age of 22, it's the first time that I thought, oh, okay, well, maybe I could try this law thing out um, and went to do the GDL. I signed up to the GDL two weeks before it started at the University of Birmingham. And took from there. Um, but I, my background, actually, we have no lawyers in my my family. But strangely enough, I'm I'm now a obviously a qualified lawyer, and uh, my sister is also a qualified lawyer in a large law firm in Birmingham. So I don't know how that's happened, but it but it has. So maybe it's some the Devon air. I have no idea. But there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah, trendsetters for the family, starting the next generation of legal talent through. Hey, well, that's good Ex- to hear. Exactly. And de- 
Devon, I used to go down there, but then I always used to go down to Cornwall. So are you one of these people who is oh. very, very, it's Devon and we hate Cornwall, or are you one of these people that, you know, accepting of both? Oh, I think, honest. given your listenership, I should probably be quite measured in my response here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we do get a lot of, oh, I know where Devon is. Yes, it's uh, at the end of the M5, and then we just go straight on to Truro, um, which <laughs> is a little bit demoralising in the grand scheme of things. There's some lovely, not that I work for the Devon Tourist Board, but there's some lovely locations down there that I'd strongly recommend visiting um I uh I I'm indifferent towards Cornwall okay is that 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 is my legal response to that question (laughs) there we go there we go well let's stick with legal then because how did you get into a career in-house and what inspired you to complete your training contract in-house at Jaguar Land Rover yeah, it, it's a great question. It links actually, Rob, into lots of things that I, I, I do at the moment, which I'm sure we'll come to. But, it, you know, the first time I thought about law as a career was, as I say, at the age of 22. And I went into the graduate diploma in law uh, to get the conversion course. And all of the material, all of the messaging is channeling you towards private practice uh, firms yeah. and that that was the direction I was heading I made all of the training contract applications that you would expect um, and it's just by chance frankly that I ended up in an in-house setting and it, it turns out actually that an in-house setting is much better suited to my skill set than a private practice setting would be anyway uh, but that was only by chance and it was actually a chance encounter between my tutor um, and my then boss at a Christmas party. So unfortunately, when students come to me and go, so Tom, how did you get into in-house? What did you do? I was like, well, you need to manufacture a situation where your tutor is speaking to an employer and they need to <laughs> have a chat about you. Now, uh, very difficult to do, obviously, but what I do say is, you know, there's an element of luck in there. I think everybody needs a little bit of luck to, to kind of get to where they need to be, but you need to, the way you generate that luck is by maximizing your opportunities. So making sure that people know who you are, networking with the right people, Obviously, I'd spoken to my tutor, a chap called Paul McConnell, who's um, very well known in Birmingham for placing people through um, numerous placements. But so my my in-house journey, I suppose, started purely by chance. But once I've got in there and I've been um, in-house now for eight years, pretty much my whole career, apart from a couple of reverse secondments I had the other way. Um, mm. And as I say, it really suits my skill set. It's a completely different world. And unfortunately, and I say we may touch upon it later, it just it's not given enough coverage. So I'm glad you've invited me on because it's just not given enough coverage. And the amount of students I speak to and they say, the only person I've heard speak about in-house is either you when I've come to do a talk at university or something like that, or um, the likes of Emma Lilly or Holly Moore on Instagram and things like that. Uh, but there's very little information out there, particularly through the kind of mainstream channels. Um, so something that I'm certainly trying to address because um, 20% of all solicitors in the UK, I've done my stats before I come on here, Rob, 20% of solicitors in the UK are now in-house, yet there is not 20% of all material um, is channeled at students going into an in-house uh, environment, I suppose. so. Very, very true. And I think it's wonderful that you are, you know, raising awareness, you know, and educating people. And I know you are exceptionally passionate about in-house, which is is wonderful. Um, How is the role of an in-house lawyer evolving? And how far off is it where you'd like to see it? Because I know you've got grand aspirations for for transformation in terms of all things in-house. Yeah, grand aspirations is a lovely way of putting it. Some people may say deluded, Rob, but uh, (laughs) we'll go with grand aspirations. So, um, it is, I believe, that 
uh, an in-house role is a specialism in its own right. And the reason I believe that is from many years of, well, you know, the last eight years that I've been in, I've seen many solicitors come in and either get it. So they've come from a private practice where they either get it or they don't get it. Um, and so it's a completely different skill set that's required. And to flip it on its head, that's no criticism towards my private cap. Uh, practice counterparts if you put me in a private practice law firm i wouldn't last very long if we're being honest <laughs> uh, because it's a completely different role and and to to say you're an in-house lawyer so you're just a solicitor that works for a company is in my opinion a bit of a lazy definition um and so the way i see it evolving um and this is not a term that i hear very often uh, rob but i think we should talk about it more is what i call legal business partnering um, so the idea of business partnering, about working alongside another team is well accepted in finance, HR, all of these other kind of more well-developed support functions. But when it comes to legal, we still, for whatever reason, want to be a bit more at arm's length. We'll go, look, we'll give you the advice. We might help you, but we don't really want to get involved in that commercial bit. Now, for me, legal business partnering, and this is how the in-house role is evolving, is you actually support people from an end to end so all the way through the solution so you provide the legal advice you explain how you implement it because that's key uh, you then explain exactly what actions are needed you need to have a meeting you need to write a letter you need to contact this governing body what have you and then the most important thing is feeding back um, and so feeding back looping that back around and say right we did it this way this time next time we're going to do it better but for x y and z reason and going through that as a business partner sitting alongside a what a product development team and engineering team or what have you you can really add some value add value that maybe private practice lawyers can't because they fall vi victim to the system because they're never actually asked at these different stages to get involved so that's the way i see it developing um that's certainly how i try and operate um, you know, hopefully if you were to speak to people I work with, they would agree, <laughs> but luckily they're not on this podcast, Rob. Um, but I think that's the way I see it developing as people come into the business. I work with a lot of, um, you know, secondees and speak to a lot of other in-house people, uh, through networking events, etc. that I, that I hold. That's the kind of ethos that I try and put across. And I say this, we need to be adding value all the way along the chain, not just at the start to say this is the legal advice and therefore we take in that direction because the legal advice could change as you go through that process. Um, so that's how I see it evolving. We're not really there yet uh, because the educational bodies don't necessarily teachers in that way i was still taught in a you know gdl lpc way all the way through and i think there needs to be some dedicated if you're going to go in in-house for example you get a training contract in-house then it wouldn't be great on the lp or now lpc or now part of the sqe where you actually get in-house dedicated training and to, because yeah. it's a completely different skill set it's a completely different skill set yeah, no, absolutely. I think you make some valuable points. So I'm sticking with grand aspirations because I definitely think it's it's there's no more than that than definitely deluded. And you know, I mentioned in the intro you are you are a general counsel, and you know that doesn't happen overnight. You know, it takes a lot of hard work. So can you just give us some of the highlights of what it's taken to get there, and then what a day in the life currently looks like for you as in, in house in that role? Yeah, well, you say it didn't happen overnight, Rob. It actually did. Um, <laughs> so uh, I have this, um, and I say this to any of the students I speak to when I do any talks or everything. Um, if you don't get, you don't. Uh, you don't ask, you don't get. You don't say that yep. too fast. If you don't ask, you don't get. And um, that's essentially what I did. There was there's three. I had three kind of sliding door moments in my career. One when I asked to join the employment team uh, with my 
predecessor. The next when um, they were looking for a dedicated solicitor in that team. And then finally, when my predecessor decided to leave her role and it was it was vacant. And so I basically put together a justification, a, a, you know, a business case and put it forward. And, you know, the business were fantastic and open minded enough to take that on board. To put it into context, I was not one year qualified when I took the general counsel role. So, uh, you know, and that on paper is absurd. I, I acknowledge that. But, you know, the business acknowledged that I had a lot of experience prior to that. Um, yeah. And therefore, you know, um, they were very open minded. And as I say, I'm, I'm still here today. So. Um, so, yeah, it did. It did sort of happen overnight. Um, <laughs> but I, I stand by that. And lots of um, lots of people that I've spoken to about the progression, you know, you've got to put it out there as to what you want. Don't assume people know what you want because they don't. You need to explain it and you need to justify why it's a good idea and go from there. So so that's kind of how I got to where I am in terms of my day to day life. Uh, that's that's a difficult question to answer. I know, <laughs> I know this is the standard answer that it's just weird and wonderful. But um, one of the things I suppose that stands out from an employment role is that you get to talk to a lot of people. Um, and, and I would, you know, no offense to my commercial friends, but if if I had to sit there all day drafting contracts, I would probably fall asleep if I'm being honest. I'm not, I'm not great <laughs> at staying awake for the best of time. So, um, but, you know, employment, you get to talk to people. I, I love working with the kind of the internal clients that I have at the moment, or I should say internal partners to my business partner in point. And um, yeah, it's great picking up the phone, solving problems, looking at that end-to-end solution, you know, all of the things that you could, you know, in terms of employment, there's a wide uh, kind of breadth of things that you can look at clearly. But one of the things that really stands out for me in the role is collaborating with HR professionals and working towards a kind of joint goal. Um, and as you can tell, Rob, I really like to talk. So uh, <laughs> I do that quite a lot all day um, until I get muted on one of our team's calls. So <laughs> Good stuff. No, and I think you raised some really, really valuable points there. And, you know, I love the whole point of, you know, you don't ask, don't get, and the importance of communication. You know, you've got to be able to communicate upwards as well as sidewards and downwards. And, you know, that 360 communication is so, so important. And, you know, you're in charge of your career. If it's meant to be, it's up to me. You have to take accountability. You've got to ask the question. So I just love that. Really good advice for people tuning in. And now time for a short quiz. Can you guess how many of your prospective clients now expect to work with you online? If you guessed almost four out of five or 79%, you got it right. Want to learn more about where the future of the legal profession is headed? Then leading practice management software provider Clio has just released a resource I think you're all going to love. In their 2021 Legal Trends Report, they compiled data from tens of thousands of legal professionals to chart the major upcoming trends for law firms. The annual Legal Trends Report is released every October, and you can get your copy for free at clio.com forward slash legal trends. That's C-L-I-O.com forward slash legal trends. Now back to the show. So as you are involved in helping trainees who are interested in in-house law careers, Mm -hmm. what type of person and skill set do you think is best suited to that role? And as an extension, what would you say are the advantages of training and staying in-house versus compared to the traditional route? Because as you say, there's not a lot out there. 
Yeah, yeah. The skill set is a good point. I think one of the one of the main things you've got to be willing to collaborate. You've got to be you've got to be a people person. I appreciate I'm an employment solicitor, and therefore we're always deemed people people. Uh, if that's the right phrase and we always get lumbered with all of the the people related initiatives and tasks but you really do need to um you need to be you know fantastic rapport building skills because the key is in an in-house setting is you need to gain the trust of the people that you're working with they need to trust you to be able to come to you back to my point about all the way along that um the kind of end-to-end process they need to go right well we've got a problem here who should we go to oh yeah let's go and speak to tom so it's really good about building those relationships and building those partnerships so that's one of the things certainly another thing that i um explain is you've got to be willing to and whether this is a skill set or more of an attitude point you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty rob in the sense that you've got to be willing to um for example if something needs to be done like photocopying and i'm the only person there then i'm going to do it for the better but you know for the 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 good of the business or whatever what have you needs to be done and so there needs to be more of a kind of an attitude point there and a willingness to to scrap in and that's something that we kind of i outline very early on when when people come and come and join us certainly um so those those two the, the attitude point and then the collaboration piece are, are very very key you need to be very solution based as well so it's not just a case of um I, you know i will admit i'm i'm not the most technical of lawyers in the grand scheme of things but i'm i what i feel i'm good at is convert interpreting that law and then make bringing a a solution a practical solution which i can give to the business and then that allows them to achieve what they want to achieve so i think it lends itself to people that are quite pragmatic um and solution driven and can kind of see a process from a to b to get to where they want to be rather than highly technical i'm very impressed by people that are very highly technical in terms of the law you know barristers and, and things like that but that doesn't necessarily lend itself to, to that, that in-house environment. So from a skill set perspective. Um, so, yeah, that's certainly I, I, I will admit, Rob, I, I've uh, gone off on a tangent and forgotten the second part of the question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you actually gave a detailed response. So uh, good for you. I was going to add to that just you know the advantages of training and staying in-house compared to maybe a more traditional route. Yeah. Two sales pitch. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, t- I tell you what, it's it's there's a number of issues with it at, the, at, um, at this stage, which I'd love to be able to address or help address. So firstly, in-house employers on the in-house side of things need to get more structured. There is no yeah. structure to what they offer. And so what I actually see is lots of the opportunities come about on LinkedIn. And, and that that's not good enough from a structured perspective. We should have, you know, for example, lawcareers.net. We should have a similar type of, right, uh, this business um, does their training contract at this stage. This business does the training contract at that stage. So that is a major issue. I've already mentioned the educational piece. It'd be great if educational bodies n- notice that 20% of all lawyers are now in-house and actually amend their pitches accordingly, if you see what I mean. Um I would. I am a supporter of an in-house training contract. I had a very, very good training contract myself. Uh, what I would say is that you have a you have a lot of flexibility, but a lot of um, a lot of the onus is put onto you to deliver the training contract. So, but I was basically allowed, you know, given the flexibility to structure that in any way I saw fit. 
Um, so that sounds great. And I got to do all the seats that I wanted. I didn't have to compete with anybody. I was the only trainee. So, you know, it was fantastic. I got a huge amount of experience from that, which was great. I would have a word of warning given the state of play at the moment. You know, I do speak to people where they say, I've got an in-house for training contract. There's no structure and I'm not given any flexibility to do anything about it. And that, that, that is, you know, that if you are being offered an in-house training contract, I really dig deep into say, right, so what does the structure like? What do my seats like? Do I get a reverse secondment over to private practice? I, I do think if you want to work in-house ultimately, I think you are better off in the long run starting in-house. I know the standard practice at the moment is go to private practice and come across, but sometimes depending on how long you've been there, it may be difficult to adapt. Uh, so I am strong believer in that. But at the moment, I think it's not the, you know, there are issues with it because there's no structure or there's limited structure and certain employers do it better than others, if you see what I mean, is, is, is my view from what I've heard. So, Yeah, no, and I, I really like the fact that you're labouring the point on structure. So hopefully people listening in who maybe do have in-house teams at the moment that are looking at going, yeah, maybe we do need to get our act together and, and be more structured. So it's a really valuable point because people's careers at the end of the day, we want to make sure they're given the best chance possible with the best foundations for them to be successful and fly. And you've touched on a few points already, but I just want to dig a bit deeper in terms of how can we increase the accessibility for people to train in-house? You know, we, we, we've mentioned there's a severe lack of content and you know that 20% stat which I'm going to be verifying after this just to make sure we're bang on um, but you know what what other things do you think you would chuck out to people to get them thinking about how we can all work together to increase that accessibility yeah it's a great question you know I, I've touched upon the kind of the different pillars the educational piece and the um, and the employer piece there needs to be acknowledgement from the employers that actually they do employ a lot of legal uh, professionals and therefore they need to have some kind of structure in place like the law firms if you see what I mean um, in terms of accessibility there needs at the very least we need to bring together a definitive list if it's UK only fine of the opportunities that are out there um, and then hopefully help but be it the law firms or be it the educational bodies working with the in-house teams because there's benefit to doing that clearly um, to help them structure their particular uh, training contracts and not only that because all of us get very bogged down uh, don't we Rob in the sense of I've got my training contract and that's the end that's not the case. You qualify and then you have to work a solicitor for 30 years. So we need to also work in an in-house setting as well to develop that kind of ongoing development structure to make sure that, that that's there. But at the very least, we just need to, it, it can't be that difficult to collate all of that information in one place so that students know exactly where they need to go to find the opportunities and then build from that foundation upwards. Um, I haven't come across that as yet, not a definitive list. I've certainly seen people collate certain groupings, but not a definitive list like Law Careers obviously offers for the private practice world. Yeah, no, and let, let, let's make it happen. You know, if you're listening and got ideas, you know, Tom's open to collaborations, suggestions. Like, Definitely. I think this is a super important topic. Let's uh, let's do that. And you, you've touched on your, your your practice. You know, you're focused on employment and labour law. Um, so, you know, what are the key differences between employment versus labour law? And you know, again, just give us a bit of an insight into the general practice. Yeah, well, funnily enough, Rob, you gave me a heads up about this question. And when you asked me it on Friday, I nodded and said, hmm, yeah, um, yeah, I, I know the answer <laughs> to that question. But actually, I didn't. So I've gone away and I've researched it. Um, so I, for, I, to be fair, I, I had never really thought about it, albeit I did know what the yeah. answer to the question was. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so from an employment perspective, 
um, you're looking at employees and and employees alone, directly employed by a business, okay? Whereas labour is more wide, more broad in the sense that you're looking at how are you, it almost crosses the border into human resources slightly. How are you resourcing? So agency, contractors, and there's other elements that come into there as well in terms of immigration and tax that come into the labour side of things more often than not. So that that's the kind of, that's the the key differential and i appreciate maybe i should have been known that given it's in my job title uh (laughs) but uh, i did know it i just hadn't really thought about it before as i said but that's actually it's a key point i'm glad you raised it rob is because what you say is when you say i'm an employment solicitor people will go oh okay so you kind of deal with employees but it's much far much further region than that and this job title has been passed down to me and i imagine originally it came about because of the kind of wide scope of work that we would get involved with covering all of those particular particular issues and we do touch upon all of those those different elements rather than just you know you deal with employees as an employment solicitor so um i'm glad you raised it and now i know thank you very much rob there we go. There we go. Well, thank you for clarifying. And I guess following on from that then, um, how does employment work uh, you do in-house differ from that who may be doing employment work in private practice? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think that employment actually lends itself a little bit more to there being a bit of a blend. I know I've kind of said private practice lawyers will operate in a particular way and in-house lawyers operate in a different different way employment is actually a little bit more flexible in that so that um because there is almost a little bit more integration with private practice law firms that work with businesses that only have hr rather than in-house employment council they they almost there's already a bit of a blurring of the line there of how they support that hr team so there's a little bit like that but if we were getting strictly down to it what what would happen in practice is um you know a private practice law firm would give me a very definitive piece of advice on something, be it the, um, you know, bit of case law from the tribunal or something like that. Um, and then I would take that into the business and look to interpret that. And I might look at doing, you know, training around that. I may look at the different policies and how that impacts that. Um, or, you know, look to solve a problem that has arisen as a, as a result of that. So I'm much more, um, less time researching and more time working and almost almost supporting on project management of, of solutions within the business. And that, again, mm. that goes to my point. It's a completely different skill set. I'm not, I'm, I very rarely, sit down and do a bit of research on a bit of case law or, or what have you I, that's kind of the information that's coming to me from there and then I'll go out and support facilitate almost that legally um, across the business if, if that makes sense yeah no absolutely and I think that's a wonderful um, kind of differentiation and explanation so thanks so much for going into that amount of detail so we're on a podcast but in March of this year you started your own podcast called You've Been Served which is excellent and you've not only spoken about your own career and how you got on there but you've also had a range of guests from different specialities what made you start this podcast? Well, I was inspired, Rob, by this other podcast called the Legally Speaking Podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, I so I, I want to, I want to help generally. Um, I, I, I was yeah. I did listen to your podcast before I started mine. I like to point that. I think I've already admitted <laughs> that to you, Rob. To be fair, but. Um, 
I, I want to help. And so uh, I want to reach out to people that are interested in house practice. I want to reach out to, you know, I, I didn't necessarily have all the information when I was coming through, when I was that naive sports science graduate and going, oh, I could get a job in law easily. Apparently not. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I really want to help people. Um, I do a lot of a lot of mentoring uh, through certain means, through my, my old university and what have you. And so it just, but what I always felt is I'm not reaching enough people with this information. Um, and so, as I said, I like to talk. I thought a podcast was a good way to, to reach more people and give people some information. Um, you know, a number of people have contacted me and said, you know, thank you very much for this piece. I had no idea about this bit of in-house, for example, or this alternative route into law or, or things like that. And actually, it's a good way to not only get the message out there, but some of the guests that I have on talk to them as well and see whether we can either collaborate or see whether I can help them because we have um, have these panel discussions with students and things like that. And that spawns more mentoring relationships as well. So it was really a mechanism or a tool to um, help junior lawyers, help aspiring lawyers to, to get to where they want to be. Uh, because ultimately when, when I'm gone, someone needs to come and take my place, don't they? So, um, and if we've, if we've passed on our kind of wisdom or guidance to them, then they'll be in a much better place than, than everybody else. And, and I am at this stage, if you see what I mean. So that's, that's where it was born out of, um, also, as well, uh, I just thought you were hogging the limelight, Rob, and I wanted some of your listenership. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Absolutely. And I always say to people, everyone says, oh, there's all these new legal podcasts cropped up. And I'm like, good. There's a space for everyone, you know. And, and what's great about you, Tom, as well, you, you found a niche, you know, where there is a distinct lack. So if anyone's thinking of, you know, starting a podcast, be that legal or otherwise, think where there's a pain point or where there's a lack of content. And, you know, there's going to be an audience. So I encourage lots of people. I think the podcasting community is a brilliant one um and so i'd strongly urge people to do it and i think definitely check out the you've been served podcast it is highly informative and there's lots of rich content on there and tom you've talked a lot about what you do give back uh, to the next generation in terms of legal uh, talent in terms of giving back through mentorship through your podcast you know is there anything else that you do or anything else that you're passionate about when giving back to the next generation of legal talent you'd want to uh to kind of make people aware or, or projects that you have on the horizon yeah, so I um, something that I've set up quite recently, actually, um, it became apparent to me, back to your point about pains, um, and this may surprise lots of people, there doesn't seem to be any networking opportunities for junior in-house lawyers. And so I get a yeah. lot of um, junior in-house lawyers coming to me, trainees, you know, paralegals as well, coming to me and saying, asking me numerous questions about progression, best practice. You know, I've had questions around what's best practice in terms of note taking in-house. And I know that seems a really odd question, but actually there's, there's a huge amount of things that spawn off that because we're not in a position to do what a private practice law firm would be able to do. So what is best practice in those scenarios? So uh, in the last few months, actually, I've put together a networking group uh, an in-house mastermind as I call it uh, which meets on a, on a monthly basis and it's um, from trainee level up to five years PQE um, and we use that as basically a platform we have a hot seat section where people bring issues to the table and we try and figure out what best practice is but it just you know it never really dawned upon me until I thought about it and they go no there isn't really a platform here I, I think maybe I, I was um, I was getting invited to things um, and 
from an employment perspective because I'd accelerated up the chain to the speed that I had. But actually, if you think about it, people at a trainee level weren't necessarily get invited to the law firms do networking events and, and things like that. So I wanted to have something that wasn't, I wasn't trying to sell anything at all. I just wanted to share ideas, obviously in a confidential uh, confidential manner. Um, and so, yeah, if anybody's listening that you know is an in-house junior lawyer that, that feels that they need that type of, support or would like to come and share ideas with that group then then please do let me know contact me on linkedin and we can get you in involved in that certainly so um so that's my kind of pet project at the moment which seems to be seems to be going very well yeah and you know we wish it lots of continued success and you know you you lead up very nicely because i was going to say if people want to to follow or get in touch with you about anything we've discussed today what is the best way for them to do that is it linkedin feel free also to shout out any web links or other relevant social media and we'll also make sure we share them with this episode for you as well thank you rob and so LinkedIn is definitely the best way to get hold of me, certainly. Um, I would like to say that I am on numerous social media platforms, and I am. <laughs> uh, but I'm nowhere near as prolific as uh, other other individuals. So if you want to contact me, you know I'm I'm more um, I'm here to help. Basically, I'm more than happy to speak to people um, and help them, particularly with things like you know in-house related things, in-house progression, in-house best practice, and, and discuss those things through. Um, particularly also students as well who um don't know what in-house is i get a lot of that and they go i have no idea what you do um so um so yeah you know please do contact me on linkedin that would certainly be the best way to get hold of me um i do i set time aside to make sure that i respond to every message um however depending on if i get a thousand messages i may need to change that policy but i will do my (laughs) best to get back to you but that is certainly the best way to get hold hold of me rob yes Oh, brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Tom. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. We've loved every minute of it. Wishing you lots of continued success, not only with your own legal career, but also your mission for all things in-house. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking Podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Alicia Peaks. Five stars, making me consider a legal career got introduced to this podcast by a friend and it's really opened my eyes to the different areas of law. Love it. Highly recommend. Alicia, thank you so much for your lovely kind words. We hope you choose to pursue a career in the law. From all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, thanks a million.